Great to be here. Thank you for that warm welcome on a cold day like this. Uh, it's so cold that I actually saw a politician with his hands in his own pockets. <clears throat> but uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads today and uh, especially to the father of this church, Pastor John Raybert. And we really appreciate you and Mandri and thank you for the opportunity uh, to share the word of God with you today. We're so grateful for all the fathers. So I wanna say to everybody, uh, in, enjoy your day. And Father's Day is, is just like Mother's Day, it's just cheaper. <laughs> but then fathers uh, do get extra days as a bonus because they have Father's Day and then they have past Naviak. That's untranslatable for those of you that didn't understand that. Now, this morning, due to the pan pandemic, we're compelled to just have a small number in our audience, but um, there are many stay-at-home dads today watching online or wherever you're watching, so have a great day with your families and whoever else is watching and listening. My focus today is on our Heavenly Father and our relationship with Him. And I wanna speak about something that I believe that all of us need to hear, maybe especially the fathers, and uh, I'm going to deal with the fact that we need to be content with our Heavenly Father's provision. So let me start with my message. In 2006, there was a best-selling self-help book that took the world by storm. It was entitled The Secret. Now this book is about some made up ancient secret called the law of attraction. And uh, it said that this law always existed in the universe and it's supposed to have some magnetic power uh, released through your thoughts and your mind becomes like a transmission tower that transmits frequencies to the universe and then receives similar frequencies back in some physical form. Now it's claimed that many people throughout history discovered this so-called secret and then utilized the revelation of that secret to bring them success. And I'm just amazed at how people sometimes uh, look for some super secret to success and to happiness. And, and to be honest, this book did bring uh, success for the author <laughs> because it became a, a bestseller with about 30 million copies sold. But I want to say clearly, it's a fake. Because um, it has been criticized as an age-old, unscientific, fake mixture of misdirected cliches and superstitious thinking. So, I want to share a real secret with you this morning. And there are real secrets that you cannot find in any other book except the Bible. But here's the uniqueness about the Bible secrets. They are not found by searching through the Bible for some formula. In fact, these secrets are revealed by the Holy Spirit in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's when you hear or when you read God's word that the Holy Spirit will uncover these things uh, that, that are hidden to our human understanding. 
So I want to talk about one specific secret that Paul wrote about, and that is the secret of contentment. And if I can give you a basic definition of contentment, contentment is an inner fulfillment. It is a satisfaction, a peace, and a joy that you have within. And uh, I'm going to read about that in Philippians chapter four. But before I read the scripture, I wanna give you my sermon title, and it is Contentment Classified. Now, uh, let, me, let me tell you why I chose this title and specifically the word uh, classified. Because Paul writes about the secret of contentment. Now you know when information or documents are officially designated as secret, that information is called classified. And so, uh, I'm going to share classified information with you today. And I thought that this may appeal to the fathers as well because they like spy movies with all the secret stuff and classified, clandestine, confidential, concealed, covert, cloak and dagger stuff. That's what they, they like. So that's the first meaning of the word classified. But classified also has another meaning when you arrange things in classes or in categories, uh, you classify them, like in the newspaper, the classified ads. And again, I think the fathers like classified ads, looking for some useful junk. <laughs> so so I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to classify contentment into two categories true contentment, according to the Bible, according to the Word of God, and then false ideas of contentment that the world offers. So, let's go to Philippians 4, and I'm going to quote from uh, this, uh, this epistle throughout my sermon, but let's read from verse 11, and I'm using the New English translation here. Philippians 4, 11. I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one, that is Christ, who strengthens me. Now just in, in this short passage, we see the English word learn appearing twice, but it's interesting that Paul uses two different Greek verbs to describe learning. In verse 11, where he says, I've learned to be content, the Greek word then, I'm not gonna bother you with a word, but it actually is related to our word for disciple. And so what Paul is saying is, I have learned these things as a disciple. I've learned contentment as a follower of Jesus Christ. So, these secrets will be unveiled in my relationship with the master. As I follow his example and heed his instructions. But then in verse 12, he uses a different word for learning. And it's a word which comes from the Greek word for mystery. So, it, it, it actually means to discover a mystery. And he discovered and learned a secret or this secret of contentment. So we can learn through relationship 
but we can also learn through revelation from the Holy Spirit as he gives us illumination from God's word. So, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the inspired word of God today, I pray that I would be a channel of his revelation about contentment. But I wanna say, it is in your relationship with Jesus that you will learn the practice of contentment. And just incidentally, let me just focus on, on verse 13 before I, I give you some practical things. Uh, a a well-known, often quoted scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? I believe in the context here in the first place, it is Christ who enables me to understand the mystery of contentment. And secondly, it's only when I have learned the secret of contentment that I can actually do all things. Wow. So I want to say our Father, our Heavenly Father is a revealer and He wants you to understand and learn the secret of contentment and you can discover this secret through revelation from God's Word, as I said, and from your Jesus journey. So here are some things in your walk with Jesus, some practical principles to learn about contentment. Number one, appreciate what you have. Wow. Appreciate what you have. Let me read verse 11 again from a different translation. And Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, I'm not complaining about having too little. I've learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. Now, I wanna make this very clear. Be content with what you have, but never be content with what you are. Because that is important. Let me also qualify this. Be content with who you are. Don't try to be someone else. God made you unique. But don't be content with what you are. Don't become comfortable about where you are in your level of, of spiritual growth and, and, and development. Keep on growing and changing. So be content with what you have, but contend for greater maturity, for deeper intimacy, and for better efficiency in your service, amen. So I said that I'm going to give you some false ideas. And here's one that falls under the classification of what the world often thinks erroneously about contentment. Contentment is not complacency. Because sometimes we get complacent about where we are, we get comfortable and we think that we have arrived, we have a lot of growing to do. So, appreciate what you have. Be thankful for what you have. I do believe, listen to me, I do believe God wants to bless us. I believe he wants to prosper us. But um, we should not walk around with childish displeasure when we do not get what we want. Say amen, say aina, say aish, because it's true. Um, we need to appreciate what we have and be thankful for that. Dwight L. Moody well-known American preacher said it this way, be careful for nothing, prayerful for everything, thankful for anything. And Paul echoes these three attitudes uh, in, in this same letter to the Philippians, and he says in Philippians four and verse six, earlier in the chapter, he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thankful hearts, offer up prayers and requests to God. 
And in 1 Thessalonians, he mentions it again. These three things. Chapter 5 from verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So give thanks. That's important. Can I say it this way? If you have nothing else to give, give thanks. <laughs> Amen. I read about uh, Matthew Henry, the um, English theologian, Bible commentator, and he was robbed. And on the day that he was robbed, he wrote these words in his diary. Let me be thankful. And then he mentions f four things. First, because I was never robbed before. <laughs> Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took all I had, it was not much. Fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. It's always something to be thankful for. Don't be an ungrateful ingrate. Always have an attitude of gratitude. Let me move on. Here's the second practical principle. Value the simple things. Value those things that are simple but vital in life. Contentment and simplicity are roomies. They're roommates. They dwell together. And I'm sure you've heard the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, not stupid. Keep it simple, saints. We need to focus on simplicity. And that's why Jesus said we need to become like little children to enter into God's kingdom. But what happens afterward, after entering the kingdom, we should remain childlike. Not childish, childlike. So let me again get a wrong concept out of the way, classified as the world's warped idea of simplicity. Simplicity is not simple-mindedness having no understanding. It's not being overly simplistic. It's just focusing on the important things in our lives. In Romans 12, 16, Paul gives us this advice. He says, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And then in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, we read these words. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God, they are from this evil world itself. I found that quite an interesting translation from the Living Bible because he speaks about don't just buy everything that appeals to you. I think in the society that we're living in today, we don't just have air pollution, we have ad pollution. I mean, when you, when you drive around, every billboard, every conceivable place has an advertisement on it. And advertisers are competing for our choices. And we have so many choices today, and it actually makes our life complicated. It, just before the turn of the century in the USA, it is said that people could choose from 180 different kinds of breakfast cereal, 120 kinds of yogurt, more than 550 kinds of coffee, 
And I think sometimes we're suffering from decision overload. And we need to simplify things. It is said that a prisoner has to make less than 20 choices daily. If you're outside there, they say at least 120. Now, for instance, a, a prisoner has only two choices for breakfast. Take it or leave it. <laughs> now, when I read about the church in the early days, here's a beautiful testimony in Acts 2, 46 and 47. It says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So God with a little is a lot. A lot without God is nothing. And we need to, to um, appreciate even if it's something that is little. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, uh, Paul writes it as follows. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. And David in the Old Testament uh, makes this contrast in Psalm 37, verses 16 and 17. He says, it's better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Hallelujah. So because of our spiritual riches that we have in Christ, we actually need to appreciate the basic things in life and value even the small things. Because contentment consists not in sumptuous wealth, but in simple wants. And your spiritual wealth should actually help you to apply, uh, uh, to learn, to appreciate a little, a lot. Let me read from Philippians 4 again, verse 12. In the message, Paul says, I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. And then if we can take some advice from the wise Solomon in the book of Proverbs, listen to these contrasts that he makes. Proverbs 16, eight, better to have a little with righteousness than to have abundant income without justice. Proverbs 15, 16 and 17, it's better to obey the Lord and have only a little than to be very rich and terribly confused. In verse 17 he says, a simple meal with love is better than a feast where there is hatred. So if you sit down and you only have Brussels sprouts and broccoli, it's better than bird's nest soup, bluefin tuna, and black truffle. Because your godliness will make those other things rich. And then the last scripture from Proverbs 17 and verse 1. He says, better to eat a dry crust of bread with peace of mind than have a banquet in a house full of trouble. <laughs> it's worth your while to go and meditate on those scriptures again. He speaks here about a dry crust of bread. I, I want to, to take a different angle here. And just want to tell you about what we used to do when we went on holiday. I, when we got married, I wanted to, to, when we got in the car, drive right through to our destination. And Cora taught me that we need to stop and enjoy the journey. And so we had patkos. Everybody knows what patkos is. Literally translated road food, not road kill, road food. 
snacks and provisions for the journey. And uh, in, in those times, we didn't have a smart car and there were no roadside restaurants. So Cora packed a, a basket for us. And it was the nicest thing to just sit down next to the road with a flask of hot coffee, cold boudoirs or fricadelles, hard boiled eggs, and soggy tomato sandwiches. I, I still, I, I'll be honest with you, if you wanna treat me today, give me a soggy tomato sandwich because it just brings back beautiful memories. And we need to appreciate those simple things. If you only have pup and gravy and, and you love God, it's better than high tea and you're in trouble. Amen. Enjoy life. Appreciate your family. Value your friends. Let me continue. The third important principle, escape the greed trap. Wow. The devil sets a trap for you. I wanna say this again, I do believe prosperity is scriptural, but so is contentment. And if I can give you a wrong idea that the world has about uh, its understanding of contentment, it, the world often equates contentment with poverty and insufficiency. It's not about that. God wants to bless you. God wants to uh, uh, prosper you. Billy Graham put it this way. He said, there's nothing wrong with men possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. Wow. Because sometimes people think that, that money is evil. It's interesting in the, the account of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus shared, it refers to wealth as good things. Listen what it says in Luke 16, 25, the words of Jesus. Abram said, and he, he was speaking to the rich man, he said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. So it speaks about wealth as something good. Money in itself is not evil. Often this scripture that I'm going to read now uh, is, is, is misquoted. It's the love of money that is the issue. And you can love money whether you have it or not. You can love money with an empty pocket. So in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, we read this earlier. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then Paul continues in verse 8, and he says this. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. That's the greed trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then listen to verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So love of money is the issue. Hebrews 13 verse five confirms that. It says, stay away from the love of money, 
Be satisfied, be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never, never fail you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. So what is important for us is to distinguish between a need, a want, and greed. And, uh, and, and, and just to tell you what the Bible says about those three things, let me show you what it says about a need, a want or a desire, and greed. In, in, in Philippians 4, let's start with, with the, that passage again. Paul says, my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But what about desires? What about wants? I, I want to read Psalm 37 again. In verse 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires will be in line with his will. And what does the Bible say about greed? Well, Jesus spoke about this in Luke 12 and verse 15, and he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Don't fall in the greed trap. You know, I, I, I've uh, witnessed that greedy people are like sponges. They selfishly suck up and keep whatever they can, and they don't give out anything until they are squeezed. <laughs> so it's important to make sure that you have the right perspective and you place God first and not your your, your wealth. If you make money your God, it will plague you like the devil. So here, I, I want to continue in that same vein and say that greed is like a plague. And it could cause people to suffer from some very strange diseases. And I want to mention just a few weird Diseases. In fact, let me call them comp composite diseases. I'm going to use uh, portmanteau words and or portmanteau words. A portmanteau word is a, is a blending of the sound and the meaning of two existing words into a new word. And I'm sure you've heard this one. Sometimes people suffer from affluenza, and you can see the connection: affluence and influenza. What is that? It's a materialistic virus causing inflammation of possessions and position. Then there's another strange disease called mammonitis. And I'm sure you can see what that is made up of, mammon and meningitis. I call this fortune fever. It affects the brain and the nervous system. <laughs> And then here's another one, pneumonia. Pneumonia and money. And it's an illness that results in shortness of breath due to chasing after money. <laughs> and then the last one, and let me just say before I mention this one, I'm not insensitive to the seriousness of the current situation, but I thought about this one. There's a disease called COVID-19. It's a grave disease. 
that could be contracted from grabbing filthy lucre. And incidentally, the figure 19 could in increase exponentially with a degree of <laughs> greed. So here's, here's the warning that we have in the Bible. Escape the pitfalls and the pain of greed and maintain a healthy mindset of contentment. So important. Let me continue. The fourth practical principle in being content is keep away from comparison. Because the enemy of contentment is comparison. And let me put it this way, counter forces of contentment are comparison and competition. And again, I wanna start off by looking at how the world sometimes wrongly classifies contentment. Contentment is not the apathetic absence of ambition. It's not being lazy or, or lethargic. And so let me again start with Philippians and this time chapter two, verses three and four. Listen what Paul writes here. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. That's the kind of ambition that is wrong. Uh, other translations speak about rivalry. Don't do anything through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If you want to compare yourself with someone else, esteem them higher, that's what he says. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. So here's what I wanna say to you. Nothing wrong with having aspirations and ambitions but it should be a strong spiritual aspiration. It should be a godly ambition, not a selfish, power-hungry, glory-hankering drive, but a sincere striving to live a God-pleasing life of service to others. That's what we need to have as our ambition. Now, Paul writes about comparing yourself to others in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. And he says it this way, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Wow. So what is comparison? When you appraise yourself against others in order to compete with them. When you measure with covetousness what you have against what others have. When you weigh up your situation with envy against the circumstances of someone else. And if you want to make any comparison, rather compare yourself with what Christ wants you to be. That's the comparison that you can make. Because uh, um, fleshly comparison can be quite disconcerting. In, in Proverbs 24, 19, we get this advice from Solomon. Don't envy the wicked. Don't covet his riches, for the evil man has no future. In chapter 14, verse 30, he says, it's healthy to be content, but envy can eat you up. And you know, in this whole comparison uh, uh, exercise, sometimes people get into debt because they want to compete with others. You know the expression competing or keeping up with the Joneses. 
with your neighbors. Keeping up with the Joneses. If you have Afrikaans neighbors, it's ombeito with the And here's what we do. We spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. <laughs> and it's a, it's, a, it's a rat race. And even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Now this is for the Afrikaans speaking people again. There's no sickness that I can't do with me. Partijmense het probleme met hulle skuldklier. <laughs> and, and, and they, they get into debt. So we should never compete against each other. We should rather complete one another. That's the message of the Bible. You don't have to compare yourself with others. As I said, you are unique. Rather focus on the fact that you are exceptional and God gave you unique, unique gifts. Paul speaks about that in Romans 12, verses four to six. He says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. And if you can see it from that perspective, it will help you not to compare yourself with someone because you have different gifts, you have different functions. So we're not in competition with each other. We're members of the same body. And the one member is not more important than the next. Appreciate the other members in the body. Esteem one another, as Paul says, and care for one another. I, let me throw in one of my favorite stories about a man that went to see the doctor. And he said, doctor, there's something seriously wrong with me because when I press here behind my head, it's so sore. The doctor says, sit here, let me examine you. He said, no, doctor, I'm not done yet. He says, even on my shoulder here, when I press here, it's excruciating. And he says, here on my, on my hip, if I press here, I wanna faint. He says, and <laughs> my left knee and my right ankle, if I press here. The doctor says, well, that sounds serious. Sit here, let me examine you. And it took a long time. And eventually the doctor said, I know exactly what is wrong with you. And the man said, please tell me, doctor. He says, your finger is broken. <laughs> no, no, it's a funny story, but it, it has a message because it says even the smallest member of your body is important and we need to esteem each other. Let's not compare ourselves with others, but rather respect them and regard them highly. Let me get to the next principle, be generous. Number five, be generous. Contentment, I said, is about an inner fulfillment. And interesting, in Philippians 4.11, the word that, that Paul uses there for content means self-sufficiency. But, again, let me get a wrong concept out of the way. Contentment does not refer to a self-centered self-interest. That's a wrong understanding. What does Paul say? We read the scripture, Philippians 2, 4. Let me read it again. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interest of others. And then in Philippians 4, immediately after he wrote about the secret of contentment, Paul 
commends the Philippians for their generosity. He says in Philippians 4, 14, you have so graciously provided for my essentials during this season of difficulty. I want you to know that the Philippian church was the only church that supported me in the beginning as I went out to preach the gospel. You were the only church that sowed into me financially. And Paul writes about generosity. So I wanna say God is a giver. And as his children, we should be givers. And if the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, then the love of God must be the root of all kinds of good. If you love God, you will love people. If you love people, you will love giving. Amen. It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. Did you realize that money was made for giving? Because money is round, it must go around. Money is circular, it must circulate. And uh, don't, don't hold on to it. Replace greed with gratitude and generosity. So we should not love things and use people, but we should use things and love people. Amen. So contentment and compassion go together, and as I said, uh, simplicity and generosity are also related. In Isaiah 58, you can go and read verses 10 and 11. I'll, I'll sum it up for you. The Lord encourages us to, to reach out to those who are needy, and then he says in, in verse 11, if we do that, God will satisfy. That's contentment. God will satisfy your soul in drought. Hallelujah. So, Let's give. And don't wait until you die before you give. Don't just leave money in your will and testament. Somebody said it this way, he who gives while he lives always also knows where it goes. <laughs> Here's the last principle. Trust in the Father's provision. It's Father's Day and, and that's what it's about. I mentioned the, that the Greek word in Philippians 4.11 means literally self-sufficiency. That, that's in secular Greek. Paul never used it in, in, in this way. He actually speaks about a sufficiency within and that sufficiency comes from God's power within. Wrong concept of contentment. Contentment is not self-sufficiency. That's a worldly idea. Contentment is trusting in the all-sufficient God. Trusting Him as your source. He's your Father. He's your provider. And while we're celebrating Father's Day, that's our focus. We, have, we should have confidence in our Father's abundant supply. We should have faith in His adequate provision because His promises are true. And when we trust the promises of the Lord, we will never be worried or anxious. We'll be content. And here's what some people do. Instead of thriving on promises of the Creator, they are surviving on Prozac from the chemist. You see, God will bring a peace in your heart. Paul continues in the same chapter of Philippians 4, and he writes these words in Philippians 4, 19. He says, my God will supply. God is a supplier. He's a provider. Your every need according to his 
glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Trust in his riches, not yours. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in, unrich, in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Trust his provision. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 28, trust in your money and down you go. Trust in God and flourish as a tree. I saw... Uh, this, this dollar bill that somebody changed, you know, in the, on the dollar bill it says, in God we trust. This one says, in greed we trust. And that's what some people do. And, and let me say, our discontent, our dissatisfaction, our, our distress uh, are actually sometimes not because of the lack of material things. It's because we do not allow the Lord to fill that void in our hearts. When Jesus has first place in your life, you'll experience fulfillment and contentment. I'm going to continue, conclude with, the, with this scripture that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. He says, God is able, this is trusting him and his provision, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, and that word is exactly the same word translated as contentment. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in, in, in every good work. Allow me to modify this verse, showing its context and the richness of Paul's Greek language while I read it with the necessary emphasis. So I'm gonna read 2 Corinthians 9, 8 from the unauthorized version of St. Mark. He says this, God is able to make all grace super abound to you, you cheerful givers, so that you having all sufficiency and contentment in all things at all times may super abound in all good works. Hallelujah. So being content is not being the devil's doormat. It's having full provision, believing in the Father's supply, and that will make you a content Christian. Amen. I want us to stand. I want to challenge you. Go and discover and learn more about the secret of contentment. In your walk with Jesus and in studying his word and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn secrets from you and help us to Learn the mystery of contentment and live it out in Jesus' name. Amen.